we're privileged today to have Major General Curtis as our speaker. He is the Adjutant General for the Louisiana National Guard and is responsible in that capacity for the deployment and cooperation of programs, policies, and plans affecting the more than 11,500 members of the Louisiana Army and Air National Guard. He is a graduate from Buckeye High School. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Agricultural Business from LSU and a Master's degree in Strategic Studies from the U.S. Army War College. General Curtis enlisted in the Louisiana National Guard in March 1982. He attended the Louisiana National Guard Officer Candidate School and was commissioned a second lieutenant in August 1984 and since that time has continued to climb the ranks in service to the National Guard and our nation. His awards, decoration, and honors are numerous, uh, indicating his longevity and faithful service to our nation. He resides in Alexandria, Louisiana. He is married to the former Jill Juno and is the father of three children, Megan, Nicholas, and Jacob. Please join me in welcoming Major General Glenn Curtis. All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Oh, come on. Y'all got to be awake. Good afternoon. <laughs> Sergeant Bullock, you gave me a hard act to follow. I don't know. Between now, between now and Friday, I may have to give you a hard time because uh, you're... you're uh... <laughs> I think most times we're the pig. So anyway, before I get started, uh, just, just to touch on leadership because I get asked about leadership a lot. Um, and, and your devotional was, was fantastic. But, you know, I've been at this business for a long time, and I've led very small organizations to now a pretty sizable one. And uh, what, what, I've, what I've devised in my own simple mind is, is the most important attribute of a leader is loyalty. And, and people say, well, why do, you, why do you say loyalty? And for me, it's your subordinates and your superiors have to know that you're going to be loyal to them. Uh, and it's easy when things are good. You know, when the sun's shining, everything's good at home, and, you know, you're in the right place in your church and with your, and with your faith and with your Christianity, uh, it's very easy to be loyal. It's when times get hard and the cheese gets binding where, where you could deflect something off of yourself and not be loyal to, you know, your God, your spouse, your employer, your state, your nation. So, so I would just offer just one additional thought is for me, loyalty is, is probably key. Um, the other thing I would like to do before I start is I'm going to embarrass her and she's probably going to beat me whenever I get ready to leave here. But Miss James, if you will stand up for just a second. This, this is the community-based Louisiana National Guard. Her husband, Harry James, is currently deployed to Afghanistan and comes home in July. July? Yeah, I, I've got so many of them deployed, and they so often I, I lose sight of it. But thank you for your uh, dedication and service to our nation through, uh, through Harry James. So I think she deserves a round of applause. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to try not to be too sloppy with these slides up here, but if you'll watch the TV screens, I'm going to walk you through kind of a quick depth and breadth of the Louisiana National Guard. And so, Keenan, I'm just going to say the next slide so you can stay up with me, please. Uh, so if you look at our organization at the top, of course, is, is the state headquarters, and we have Army units and Air units in that organization. The, 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 the boxes across the bottom uh, are our colonel commands, and so we have six of them in the state, or seven. 
and, and the green ones are Army units. The purple one is what we call a joint unit where it has Army and Air capabilities in it. And then we have a fighter wing and belt chase. You can see, as was stated earlier, we've got over 11,000 members in our guard. Go to the next slide. And this is kind of where we're at. If you look at these chiclet charts, uh, uh, we, are, we are really in almost every community, every parish throughout the state of Louisiana, which means a couple of things. We're community-based. We recruit our brothers and sisters and nephews and cousins and et cetera into our units. Uh, but the other thing it gives us, it gives us great flexibility. So when we get into a disaster, whether it's a flood in North Louisiana, a hurricane in South Louisiana, oil spill, you name it, typically the first people out are out of that community-based uh, uh, National Guard armory. And then we just continue to bring people in as it requires us to do so. Go to the next one. So this is, this is the part we probably don't do a good job of, of communicating a lot of times, but the Louisiana National Guard is a huge business. Uh, we, we have an economic impact in the state of Louisiana of about $450 million a year. And when you, when you dissect that a little bit and you bring it back to central Louisiana, it's a little over $83 million. And that's, you know, the running of Camp Borgard, all those units, Esterfield, Camp Cook, the, the, the units we have in Alexandria. So it, it's, it's a total package, and we're happy to be here. And I'll tell you, the people in central Louisiana treat us uh, tremendously. Go to the next one. So our missions, we have, we have three main missions. We have a federal mission, which is we, we respond when the president tells us to go forward, whether it's into a war fight or to some disaster somewhere outside the state of Louisiana. Then we have a state mission, and that's probably where you see us most of the time, where we respond inside the state of Louisiana to some type of disaster. And then we have a community mission, and that's, that's I tell them we just want to be a cornerstone in all the communities that, that we are in and for the people of the state of Louisiana. When you think of the Louisiana National Guard, I want you to think positive thoughts, and I think our men and women do a very good job of doing that. So then I'm going to just walk you through some of the things that impact those three missions. So if you look at the war fight, again, we're 11,000 strong. Over the years, that, that number it shows 17,000 has now gone over 18,000 men and women that we've deployed either to Iraq or Afghanistan, or they may stop in Kuwait, and then they will move forward uh, to Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Jordan, uh, really fighting this global war on terrorism. I mean, we've even put people in Africa uh, chasing down the bad guys. So, so tremendous effort um, on the part of our Louisiana Guardsmen. Currently, we've got 660 that are deployed uh, forward, Harry James being one of them. And that's probably his third deployment, fourth deployment, fourth deployment. Uh, and we've got another about 350 that are scheduled behind them to go later this year and into early next year. Go to the next one. This is one most people don't really know about, and we don't publicize it uh, very well. But we have two F-15s. We have an F-15 unit that's located at Belchase, Louisiana, uh, at, at the Naval Air Station there. We keep two F-15s armed, fueled, ready to launch. The, 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 the requirement is, is they have to be airborne from notification in less than five minutes. So we keep two pilots there, all geared up, um, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. So Christmas, New Year's, none of that matters. We've got two pilots sitting there ready to roll. And, we, and it, it was there before 
but particularly after 9-11, so that if we get an unidentified aircraft in, in, our, in the Gulf region, they launch and they have very specific shoot-down orders, protocols that they will go through, uh, and they don't have to ask a lot of questions. If they reach those protocols uh, and, they, and they think that aircraft is a threat, then they can take it out of the air. That's an awesome responsibility, so uh, we try to make sure that we are, we are good to go on that. Go to the next one. So all of the National Guards across the, 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 the country, 54 of us, states, territories, and District of Columbia, all of us have at least one partner nation. In Louisiana, we have two. We have Haiti and we have uh, Belize. Belize for us is a 22-year relationship. The, the current commander of the, uh, the Belize Defense Force and I met when I was probably a major and he was a captain. And so we know each other and, and uh, when he gets issues down there that he needs to talk about, he calls me and we have conversations about everything from narcotics to human trafficking to the threats of the other countries in that area, uh, you name it. So, so, so it's a mutual trust and, and benefit relationship. Haiti for us came about after the earthquakes in 2010. We sent a, we sent a task force in in June of 2010 and, and then from there we developed a, a a uh, partnership with them. I tell people, you know, if, if you've never been to Haiti, um, I've been all over this world and, and I've never seen um, people struggle just to live and get by like I have in Haiti. Uh, so, so for me, that one's a little special. I mean, you, you can go into a community and drill a water well and you just thought that you gave them the greatest mansion in the world, so to speak. So, so it's a very good relationship for us. We try to stay engaged with them. And, and, and do the right thing. We've, we have worked with both countries in recent years on emergency response because they both live with a threat of, of earthquake, I mean uh, hurricanes particularly. Got the next one. On the all hazard front, this is something that we take very seriously here in Louisiana. I mean, we, we get called out more than we care to probably, but, but it's a requirement for us. So we have these prescriptive missions with all the local uh, leadership across the state, whether it's a parish or, or a city or town, uh, where we will go in and do a mission for them. And we take that and roll it up into whatever our overall requirements are. And at any given point, we got about 7,400 Louisiana Guardsmen that can, that can move. Uh, very seldom does it need that type of capacity, but they're available. But to me, the bigger number is, is we have reach back into the other National Guards where we can bring in you know, somewhere around 400,000 people with probably any capability that you can imagine from communications to hospitals to uh, decontamination in case we get a dirty bomb or a terrorist attack on us. So, so it does me good to know that we've got tremendous reach back capability. And you can see under the support missions all the things we get into and it's search and rescue and commodities, security, I mean the list kind of goes on. I, I tell local leaders, if you got a need, tell us what it is. And, and let me tell you no, and I very rel rarely say no. Uh, we typically can figure out how to try to make things better and take care of our citizens. Go to the next one, Keenan. So if you look at last year, we were extremely busy. We started off with Harvey, and, and uh, for Louisiana, thank God it wasn't much of a, of a response. But what we realized was the people in the Beaumont Orange area over in Texas, Texas was cut off from them. They could not get to them. 
And so um, the governor got a call. I got a call from my counterpart over there, and we sent our soldiers into southeast Texas. And you can see the numbers, but we, we uh, removed, rescued over 3,000 people, you know, pets, et cetera. We brought them to the shelter here at LSUA and up into Shreveport, and we just told Texas, look, when you can breathe, you know, we got them. When you can breathe and figure it out, we'll get them back to you, you know, based on your, your flow. Uh, from there, um, Irma hit Florida. We had several hundred more guardsmen that were, I mean, literally pulling out of the, out of the uh, compounds when a tag of Florida called me and said, hey, we don't need them. Thank you very much. So we, we were able to turn that off. And then after Maria, we sent in, it was right at 400 total um, guardsmen to do security operations and engineering operations. Again, we did that on a, on a state coffers. You know, we, the, the, the state of Louisiana paid for that. We were, we were being reimbursed by FEMA. But you know, when I talked to the governor about it, I said, Governor, we really can't afford to do this, but we can't say no. And he said, you're right, move out and, and we'll figure it out. So we did. Uh, so those soldiers and airmen were down there between 30 and 45 days helping the, the people in Puerto Rico. We sent a few people into the Virgin Islands, but, but other states were taking care of them, so our request was not as much. And then the last one for Louisiana was Nate, and uh, we were very happy that it moved through very quickly, but we couldn't take that risk. So we mobilized another huge set of Louisiana Guardsmen. We had them stationed forward, ready to respond, uh, in case Nate decided it was going to do some damage to us. So Sergeant Bullock said he's retiring this Friday uh, from our Youth Challenge program. And this, this to me is the shining jewel of the Louisiana National Guard. And it's a real simple thing. Uh, we take young men and women that have dropped out of high school and we put them through a five and a half month program. We give them life coping skills. Um, we teach them how to say yes ma'am and no ma'am and yes sir and no sir. And we work on their high set or their, or their uh, what used to be the old GED. Uh, inside of that, we, we've grown immensely in that we teach them job skills or if they score high enough on their, on their aptitude test, they get college courses. Um, you know, at the end of the day, my objective with YCP is to take a young man or woman that was probably on the negative side of the ledger because most time because of conditions beyond their control and put them on the positive side of the ledger and, and, and help them fulfill whatever dreams that they have and help them realize that they can have big dreams in this country and achieve them. And there are many people that will try to help them. And then we do a star base. It's for fifth graders. You know, the educators tell me that if you want to get to a young man or woman and get them interested in the science and engineering programs, it's in the fifth grade. And so we bring them in for a week. They build rockets that they, that they shoot off and they fly these flight simulators. But in that, we teach them all the science and engineering um, that's involved in doing that. My two boys that are now in college will tell you that was the best week of school they ever had. So, uh, so anyway, I, maybe, we maybe I should have left them there. So, um, so this, this for us is a new domain. Uh, you know, we, we are used to fighting uh, our adversaries on land, in the air, at sea, subsea. Um, space, now it's cyber. And I tell you, this one scares me more than the rest of them. I, I, I told somebody recently, I really don't worry about an adversary that I can see anymore because I can shoot him and kill him, or my soldiers can. The cyber piece, they will get into our networks, and they are in our networks now. I promise you, none of you are immune to this. 
they're in our networks, and it's if they choose to do you damage or not, and, and do they set conditions on, on an overall scale to bring us down. So if we have a disaster, a hurricane, and they wanted to take down all the, the, the governmental internet systems in the state of Louisiana, imagine the mass confusion that would take place. So that's part of what this cyber team is about, to try to grow this capability. And the governor stood up a uh, cybersecurity commission. Um, he made the guard the executive agent and me the co-chair of it. And so I don't really know how to spell cyber, uh, but I, we're about to try to figure it out and, and put together a state-level plan so that we can protect, again, our governmental entities, but things like utilities, refineries, chemical plants, because um, it, it, it can be a game changer for us and will be if, if, um, if we're not wide awake. And I will tell you we're behind in this. We're way behind. Uh, the smart guys, stuff I've looked at and seen, um, we, we have ways to make up. So go to the next one. Another capability we don't promote a lot, we keep a 200-man unit. Uh, in, it's, it's centered around the Baton Rouge area, and it's for what would be probably the worst night in, in our country or in our state. Uh, it's a Suburni capability. It's chemical, biological, radiological, explosive. So a terrorist comes in and blows up a chemical plant, um, drops a bridge in the Mississippi River, uh, attacks one of our nuclear plants, and is able to... to uh, uh, make it melt down, et cetera. That, that's what this team is built for. And what they do is they go in in the suits that you've probably seen on TV, the aerated yellow suits with the breathing apparatus, and their missions are, I'll say simple, but they're pretty direct. They, they do uh, search and extraction. So if we have citizens in there, they have the ability to go in and cut steel, concrete, you name it, to get them out. Then we have a decontamination unit where they will scrub them down and get whatever chemicals it is our agent it is, off of them. And then we have medical triage, where our, our medical folks will look at them and go, yep, we can put a Band-Aid on that, or no, this person's gotta go first, because it's life-threatening. I pray to God we don't ever have to use this one, but, but if we do, uh, they will be there, and, and uh, they'll be available to us. Okay. So, so when, when you look at all of those different tasks, touch, touch points that we have, it's important to us to try to ensure we take care of our guardsmen and their families. And so these are just some of the programs that we have in the state where it's, it's an active participation uh, with families to try to make sure that when they deploy, uh, that their families are set, that their employers are set, um, because I've realized that, uh, or we all have realized, that we're kind of the third leg on a stool. If the family and the employer is not taken care of, it becomes unstable and we're going to lose. And so... All these programs are try to, to get at that uh, and try to take care of our forces. Okay. One of the things we try to do to uh, be out in our communities, we call them community assistance projects or community relations projects. Uh, you've probably have seen these. We do displays. Uh, every now and then I can get a flyover approved. We'll put our helicopters out so kids can look at them and, and um, touch them. Probably one of the more key things to me on here that we do is military funeral honors. So we keep, we keep a full-time force, uh, and that's really their job. Uh, if a veteran passes away, we will be there, uh, unless the family says no, to uh, do military honors for that, for that veteran. Uh, I think that's the least we can do for them and their families. 
Um, got the next one, Keenan. So success. You're Louisiana National Guard. I would tell you, when I look at the metrics that we're, we are engaged by, we're probably in the top five across the nation. And a lot of it starts with what's your overall strength. So we're running 106% strength on the Army side, 105 on the air side. Um, and that's even after 16 years of war and, and more state deployments for emergencies than I can count. Um, I would tell you our retention rate. So, so people that have served in uniform that choose to stay with us, we run just below 80%. And we ran just we ran in the upper 70s for probably the past six years. And so people try to tell me that we're worn out, that we're tired, and I tell them, no, we're not. Our soldiers and airmen want to be relevant, and for them, relevant is, is deploying when our nation needs us and being available to deploy in our state. I think if we stop doing those, um, we will become more irrelevant, and I think we become at risk. Um, so anyway, but, but your guard is in great shape. Uh, there are some of us that take leadership roles on a national level to help formulate policies so that so that our military and our National Guard stays strong. Yeah. And then the last thing, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, is, is we are a community-based organization. And we can never, ever lose that community base. Um, we want soldiers to enlist in their local communities and, and hopefully serve there for as long as they can. Um, because when the time of need comes, they will be there to respond in that community, helping their families, their friends, their neighbors, et cetera. Um, the other thing that they do is, is it's not uncommon for me when I go out to see a father and a daughter in the same unit, a father and a son in the same unit, cousins, brothers, you name it. Um, so we can, we can never lose um, that connective tissue. So with that, I think I will, I will stop there. There are other things we get involved in, but those, that's kind of the big rocks. Um, I don't know if I have time to, for any questions. I'd be glad to try to answer any questions anyone may have. Yeah, I must have been good then, huh? <laughs> or y'all are all asleep from lunch. That's probably what it is. Yeah. And thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I tell our soldiers and airmen all the time, I get to hear the thank yous and everything. And, and uh, um, But when you see one of them in uniform or their families, thank them for me, please. Yes, sir. I assume your biggest threat to having a good military is just funding. But yeah. is there another threat to keeping a good military? Um, funding, funding is a big issue. Um, and I, our, you know, so when you say funding, we, we are probably 90-something percent federal, and, and that $450 million, it's 400-plus uh, federal and about 33, 34 state. As long as we can kind of keep those numbers, hopefully improve them a little bit over time, then we're, we're pretty stable. Um, I, I think, I think uh, the other risks that we face, I mentioned being relevant. Um, you know, the, the, the young men and women that are in the Guard today, since 9-11, expect to be deployed. When they sign up, they know that it's coming at some point. Um, and so, so I really think if they ever kind of put us back on the shelf, that probably concerns me as much or more than us doing a reasonable amount of deployment, as long as we have predictability 
um, for those employers and families. Where it gets a little squirrely is, is when they're when they're unpredictable, and and they'll come in and hit us at the last minute and give us 60 days to mobilize a 300-man unit and send them somewhere. And we've had that happen a couple of times this year. Um, I, I think those are probably the two that, that really come into my mind. And then it goes back to leadership. I mean, I, I, you know, people want to be associated with winners. And, and if the leaders do a good job and they make their units into winners, then, then, then the likelihood of that young man or woman staying is, is much higher. So, yes, sir? Well, the, the um, it's it's not large enough for us to recruit from, for all the services. Uh, I would tell you that the Louisiana National Guard, Louisiana specifically, uh, we do not have that problem. We 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 our our recruiting numbers are above what we're what we task ourselves with, uh, and a lot of that is because we have great educational benefits, uh, whether it's to a college or a Votech school. Uh, we will we will between the state of Louisiana and then the military piece of it, we will um, probably not pay for everything, but we come pretty close. Uh, now, nationwide, yeah, it, it, it's becoming a major issue, um, and it's getting worse. Less and less and less people, young men and women, are even eligible to be considered. You know, but, but as I look at the future, um, you know, and I think about this cyber, what I call a cyber warrior, uh, I would tell you what makes a good infantryman does not make a good cyber warrior. And, you know, and a young infantryman is, is uh, physically fit and, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. A cyber warrior has a totally different take on life. And so we've been asked to think about, you know, would you be willing to recruit a cyber warrior that has purple hair and earrings and likes to work from midnight to 6 a.m. but can do more things on a computer and with a computer to secure our nation than, than the infantrymen can. And my answer to that is yes. If they're willing to serve, then we are, we, you know, the old dogs should not be so stoic in the way we look at what a soldier or an airman should look like uh, and open up the aperture for, for those. Now, can you, can you ever put a, you know, someone in a, in a combat unit that, that's out of shape uh, out there? Probably not, because it, it's too grueling. The demands are just too much. We carry too much weight on our bodies. Our weapons are heavy. You know, if we're out humping it across whatever train we're on, um, you, you just cannot wish that away. So, so, but I think our requirements may be different. So we, so we should think about it differently. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, yeah, well, I appreciate that, Mayor. And y'all are great supporters of ours. I would tell you that 
I've already, we've already issued a warning order to be ready. Because I expect sometime this week we may start seeing some flood duty. And if it, if it comes to Pineville, we will be there, again, shoring up whatever you ask us to shore up or tell us to shore up, we'll take care of or try our best. Yes, sir. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I think our strategy has to be uh, it, it's multi-pronged. I mean, there there has to be to wear this uniform um, and be willing to say I'll deploy wherever you want me to go. I'll, I'll I'll put my life on hold and go. There's there's a special mindset for that. So it's you've got to have that first. Now beyond that, you know there there are things that we can do to enhance people's willingness to serve. And a lot of it goes back to you tell me what they're interested in, and, and the military probably has a program that can, that can grow that interest. Whether it's educational, as I mentioned early, earlier, we will teach them how to be leaders. Um, but, but it really, I personally, in a volunteer military, I don't want to be out somewhere, you know, facing one of our adversaries with somebody that does not want to be there. Uh, I think we've lived through that as a country. Um, and we just we would just have to continue to work on this all volunteer force to try to bring them in. Um, but a lot of times, what I see young men and women say, "No, I'm not interested." Once they get a little exposure to it, you'd be amazed at how many of them become interested in it and take to it like a duck to water. I mean, it, it, it's really amazing. Um, and you got to get them over the fear of if I deploy to Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever future fights we have you know, that, that, that I might get killed or hurt. I mean, I've, I've been to both places, and most, you know, 99% of the time, I was hot, dirty, homesick, but I wasn't in fear for my life. Now, you know, I couldn't say that 100% of the time, but, but, but most of the time that was, that was the case. So. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Now, what, you know, you're probably talking about the equipment that we have or, or not have. Well, it, it, we're, we're kind of like a, a multiplier, you know. Um, I, w I would tell you that, that in um, a great many cases that is still true because I go back to our deployments overseas. What I see is is we have young men and women to go that are, you, you pick their job, an engineer, a, a truck driver, uh, an infantryman, an artilleryman. But when they show up in theater, you know, they, they may be a, a Ph.D. agricultural person, and we've had that happen more times than I care to count. And all of a sudden, they're not out doing their military job anymore. They're now on some team trying to teach people how to grow um, uh, agricultural products beyond just subsistence farming, you know, where, where they can make a living out of it and create a business opportunity. So, yes, sir, we still. But now, if you're referring to the equipment that we used to get, and we used to, get the old worn out equipment and it didn't run, didn't operate, and we had to try to fix it, I would tell you that's not the case anymore. Both the Army and the Air Force have done a great job of, of giving us the equipment we need because they know we've got to deploy with it and we'll be right there beside them. And, and so, so we're in pretty good stands on that end. Other yes, sir? Uh, I'm a product of Louisiana National Guard. Huh? 
Good. So what unit were you in? 415. Though. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would tell you that, um, so if you bracket it between, you know, say 17 to 25, um, in that population, whether it's college or, or BOTEC, um, it's probably, oh, it's north of 50% of, of, that, of that population that's taking advantage of it. I don't know exactly, but, but I would tell you that we set aside, I could get you the number, it's several million dollars a year that we set aside, our legislature sets aside for us to pay for the tuition of those schools. So, yeah, and the, and from when you were in and where where it is today, the benefits that you get with the GI Bill from the from the you know the federal side um, and other programs is unbelievable. We got kids that go to college full time and they probably clear a thousand dollars a month. If I'd have cleared a thousand dollars a month in college, I'd have stayed. I wouldn't. I would have <laughs> never. I wouldn't have never left. I'd have thought I'd had it made. So. Uh, anyway, but yeah, but thank you for your service. Yeah, yeah, well, thank you. All right, any other questions? Okay, thank you again for having me. I would tell you that most people don't want to come on Camp Borgard or, or our installations. You know, they, get, they see the front gate and maybe get a little intimidated by it. it it's yours. It belongs to you. All you got to have is a current ID, driver's license, and you can come on Camp Borgard and take a look around anytime you want to. And I would invite you to do that. If you've never come and looked at our Youth Challenge program, you need to come watch these young men and women uh, and, and the absolute 180 degree turn that they do just by being in the right positive uh, environment. And, it, and it's tough love, um, but, but it, the success of it is off the charts. So thank you again.